Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the Fugazi catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss X Spectator from 2001's The Argument is Gary Budden, a writer and independent publisher and a huge fan of Fugazi. How's it going, Gary? Very good. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you, um, as listeners may be able to tell from your particular accent. Uh, you are our first guest from the United Kingdom, and mm. uh, so welcome to the show. It's exciting to have you uh, in that respect. How do you perceive that Fugazi is uh, is known in England? Are they are they sort of well known, at least um, among the scene of people who uh, are into independent music? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially for anyone who's um a fan of punk or hardcore or I suppose post-hardcore or even like post-rock and stuff like that, um, at least for people my age, so I'm 37, um, I think Fugazi are very well known. Um, I don't know about younger people in their 20s, but uh, yeah, definitely considered a kind of iconic American band. Excellent. Well, um, do you want to tell me a little about your relationship with Fugazi as a fan and how uh, how you came to know about them and uh, I believe you had told me that you saw some notable uh, shows by them. I did, yeah. So I was, I was thinking about this today and I was trying to think when did I first hear of Fugazi and I've been racking my brains and I really can't remember. I can't remember. But I do think it must have been around... 1997 or 1998 when I would have been 15 and I think it was seeing perhaps a review of end hits but it may have been before that but I think I they were one of those bands that I was kind of getting into music and definitely getting into more underground music independent kind of music um and I'd heard the name and then I really started getting into that whole kind of no idea record sound, you know, I I've, I've sort of fell in love with bands like Hot Water Music around that period. And I think that's what led me to Fugazi. So I'm pretty sure that the first record I listened to them, by, uh, listened to by them was End Hits, which is probably quite a strange, uh, <laughs> yeah. strange entry point into uh, that band. I think a lot of people would and, call it an outlier of sorts. Well, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of it. And then, and from then, I went and uh, delved back into their catalogue, especially uh, Repeater, which was, you know, became one of my favourite albums. And then I started university in uh, basically the same time as The Argument came out. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was quite a good time because there was a kind of, you know, a lot of Fugazi, I suppose, in, uh, in the kind of music press at the time. And it was nice to experience experienced that happening at a time and that was it kind of coincided with my sort of real let's say deep dive into you know that kind of the scene kind of music into hardcore and post-hardcore and all that stuff so that was how I discovered them and then I was obviously I didn't know this at the time I was lucky enough to uh, be at Fugazi's second ever show which was in London so but unfortunately on the Fugazi second, live series second last show Yes, so their penultimate yes, right. show, which was at a place called the Kentish Town Forum, which is in North London, not too far even from where I live right now. And what was the date? November the 3rd, 2002, supported by Q and Not You and Eraserata. And then they played one more show the next night at the same venue, and then that was it. <laughs> so I feel very lucky to have kind of to have witnessed them live. Um, 
at a relatively young age. I was 19 at the time, and I just thought, oh, great, it's Fugazi are playing. We'll go go and see them, not realising <laughs> it was it was kind of the you know the end of them as a at least a live entity. Yeah, so, yeah. that's amazing. Witness to history. Well done. <laughs> but annoyingly, on the Fugazi live series, it's one of the few shows that there's no recording of it. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I was uh was q and not you supporting them uh all all the nights there uh no so the night before they did three nights at the kentish town forum which i mean i suppose for fugazi was a relatively large fairly mainstreamish venue it's still going that venue um it says the night before they were supported by quick space and winnebago deal bands i've forgotten and then the final night was the buff medways oh, okay i've listened to the recording of that final show and i i mm. was like if i feel like i would have been aware if q and not you had opened uh, that show um okay interesting well that's uh, that's uh that's pretty cool do you have any like ticket stubs or a memento of that i don't i don't i really wish i did i mean a, a lot of stuff from that era i kind of because I moved, I kind of moved house a lot. Renting in London is quite a precarious, precarious position. Sure. So when I'd moved to moved to the city, um, you know, a lot of things that I could have kept kind of got lost in the shuffle, which is a real shame. And you know, when you're when you're that sort of age, you don't necessarily <laughs> have the foresight to to um, hang hang on to things. Yeah. But it's funny you mentioned that the recording of their last ever show which I have listened to, and, uh, you know, someone who is a, a Londoner and knows North London very well, I find it very endearing that I think it's the opening kind of preamble with the crowds. Ian Mackay has, he talks about going to a spaghetti house in Suffolk Park, which I just find very funny because I know that area well, and it <laughs> it just seems odd, an odd little detail that they're talking about going to an Italian restaurant in London on the last ever show, which is something, you know, that appeals to me very much, I think. <laughs> This is just only relevant since we're talking about uh, England, which is that the the episode for Bulldog Front just recently uh, was released. I had mm. a I had a listener from England tell me that he always associated that with a sort of bulldog as maybe a, a, a far right symbol in England, which it's not really here. Um, that's something that I had never considered. Hat tip to that listener whose name I forget. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm yet to listen to that episode, but. Um... Yeah, the kind of bulldog was always associated with Winston Churchill, and then it kind of does get associated with a kind of at least British nationalism. So, yeah, perhaps it is. I don't know. Yes, I had known about the Churchill thing. I guess I had not realized uh, that it had changed over the years. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm... You'd, you'd see it. You'd see it in the kind of imagery associated with some, probably like some skinhead bands and stuff like that. Maybe not right wing but more sure at least at least using the union jack and stuff like that do you know what i mean using right. that kind of national imagery i think <laughs> yeah N- nice how these people uh, appropriate our national imagery and uh, <laughs> sully them in, in these ways uh <laughs> flags are such ugly things as we will uh discuss uh, in a soon to come episode uh so today we're talking about x spectator which is uh one from the argument um, a fantastic album. I couldn't find, you know, much in the way of background about this song, other than it seems that it was formerly called Link Ray, uh, as maybe an instrumental track track when they were uh, sort of putting it together. Uh, I 
I don't have a citation for where I found that. Uh, I guess this is referring to the musician Link Ray. I I can't personally hear a ton of similarity in the track mm. um, bet- between his music and the way it turned out. Maybe it's one of those things that evolved over time. So that's all I have in the way of background. Uh, what do you think is the first angle we should take on talking about X Spectator? Well, I, w- I was listening to it a lot this week in kind of prep- preparation for for doing this. And I will admit, it's it's uh, you know I'm a huge fan of the argument, but it's it's kind of a song that you know when I when I was uh, knew I was going to be speaking about it, I had to kind of recall what it was because I don't think it's one of Fugazi's more famous songs. But the angle I was looking at is very much um, the kind of lyrics in it because I always think Fugazi's lyrics are actually very interesting, and quite cryptic um, for a band that had a sort of false reputation of being quite, I suppose, didactic. I really don't think that's true. So. The take I was going to um, go down on this is the kind of the lyrical slant on this, where he's talking about being an ex-spectator. Because there's the, some lyrics I wrote down, for me, especially as a writer, this kind of really jumped out at me. And the, the lyric is, uh, here's some questions that the writer sent. Can an observer be a participant? And I wanted to talk about this kind of idea of, I suppose, Fugazi talking about the difference between I suppose, commenting on things and actively being an active participant in them, which I think relates to the idea of the argument as an album as a whole, Yeah, I think. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I found some interesting things uh, about that line as well. Yeah, what, what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, I suppose like anyone who does kind of creative, creative work, if you're in a band and you're writing songs, I suppose I, I thought perhaps it's a kind of almost self-questioning or self-criticism saying, you know, how much good can it be writing songs that comment on the world? Is it more is it more important to participate? Now, I would say that that's probably quite unfair for especially a band like Fugazi, who I would definitely consider participating in the world and, and you know, changing things through action, some kind of action. But I think that's what it's about. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting take. That had crossed my mind. I also thought... This could be, uh, in a way, a companion piece to the song Waiting Room, wherein Mm. uh, Ian is sort of talking about, like, it's about his anxiety uh, about being on the sidelines of the punk scene uh, when he really wants to get into it, uh, and that sort of impatience that comes with that. So I I think maybe it's maybe it's that, maybe it's both. Um, The the moving from observing to participating. Uh, like as a musician but also yeah i think it's very valid to to bring up participating in things rather than just writing songs that that comment on them well and it's also it's it's interesting that they even call the song expectator rather than participant and they're they're slightly different things um but I, i hadn't thought about that i suppose you're right waiting room obviously probably their most famous song i suppose is about feeling like you're on the sidelines the fact that he introduces that as here's some questions that the writer sent. Uh, mm-hmm. Are we to are we to assume that this is uh, yet another interviewer who's sort of writing to Ian MacKay, asking him questions, you know, just about his role in the scene? Because mm-hmm. I, to me, this is also this is one of those Ian songs where he's examining his own identity. This this seems to come up again and again in Ian songs, and. I was like thinking about why that is maybe partly is because there are all these people asking about him, about his role as, you know, whatever, you know, 
the founder of the straight edge movement, uh, <laughs> the, the the like sort of hardcore punk godfather in the DC scene, et cetera, et cetera. So like you, you have constantly people asking him this, so he's probably constantly thinking about it, and it comes out in his songs, maybe. Yeah, possibly. I think he's he's definitely got to be one of the most interviewed. I don't know people, at least musicians, especially kind of related to kind of punk musicians in the entire world. He seems to there seems to be endless interviews with him, and almost every documentary I've ever watched about <laughs> some, some aspect of like the American underground. Ian MacKay's there. Um, I remember watching the one about Slint quite recently, and I sort of thought, I wonder if he's going to pop up in it. And there he was, and <laughs> it made me laugh. But I mean, you know, he's a good he's a good person to um, speak to. I think very articulate, but. Yeah, perhaps you're right. Perhaps that's the writer who's sending the questions. But then, I don't know. I, I still think, it, for me, listening to it again, I think it might be, again, about that kind of tension when you do a kind of any sort of form of art or music that's, I suppose, politically engaged, but then questioning, does this really change anything? Do you know what I mean? Is that, and that's a, I don't think Ian Mackay is the only person to have felt that kind of, if that is what he means, felt that kind of, doubts i suppose yeah certainly um and it also brought to mind i was thinking about it what came to mind was the heisenberg uncertainty principle so i looked it up it it turns out that that's it's commonly mistaken for what i was actually thinking of which is the observer effect which is a thing in physics where like it's the theory that just merely observing something changes it like basically because you're measuring something and by necessity that thing alters whatever it's measuring uh on wikipedia like they cited a common example is like checking the pressure in an automobile tire this is difficult to do without letting out some of the air thus changing the pressure so mm. in a sense an observer is always a participant you know not to over extrapolate too much this is something that people do with like uh <laughs> talking about physics phenomenons and and trying to apply it to uh everyday real world stuff uh, so but but that's a that's sort of a parallel to think about. But also, in the world of uh, psychology, I guess not psychology, maybe more ethnography. Uh, there is a term participant observation, where mm. like people who are practitioners of uh, that kind of like ethnographic research uh, use this type of data collection, where you know they're not just if they're examining a society or whatever, they're not just perched on a nearby hill with binoculars uh they're they sort of participate in it they try to really gain a, a familiarity uh, mm -hmm. with the people that they're studying and you know because in some ways that's the only way you can really fully learn what you want to learn um and of course there are some ethical uh practices that are like uh, uh commonly involved which you know you're not supposed to affect whatever you're studying too much but uh it's it's interesting that that is uh, a term that comes up so commonly in this world, participant observation, mm -hmm. and it, it just sort of probably brings with it these questions of, well, to what extent can you really participate without altering whatever you're studying? So these are these are all things that uh, I, I have no idea if <laughs> it has anything to do with what was in Ian's mind as he was writing these things. But uh, right, he seems, seems to it struck me as a fairly... Uh, literate man i mean there's also uh what you're saying there's kind of parallels there in certain thoughts uh that go into kind of documentary filmmaking there was an idea that you could uh in the 1960s and i'm going to forget the american documentary filmmaker they, they attempted to sort of essentially film reality 
unvarnished but then you get the ideas from you know people like Werner Herzog actually he always talks about this that you know the act of filming something being that participant does change it but sure. it, what you what you what you receive isn't untrue either is that kind of idea of ecstatic truth but the idea that just by looking at something especially if you're recording it or commenting on it does change it but it kind of produces something that's still real yeah, I mean, I think everybody's like experienced just having a camera on you and knowing that mm. you're being recorded. You, it's very hard to act natural, and even if you are acting natural, you're still acting, right? Uh, that's yeah, that's yeah. interesting to look at it in that respect, especially given the band's close relationship with Jem Cohen, uh, who yeah. is who takes part in that sort of art. Well, there's a very philosophical question there, isn't it? It's like when when is a human being or when is something in its natural state? I've got no idea. Is it when you're with your friends or when you're on your own or when you're with family or when you're, a, do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind yeah. of, it, you change all the time. Um, do you know what? It's just popped into my head. What's that? And I've forgotten, I've forgotten half the lyrics to the song, but public witness program by Fugazi, obviously, which is a, a, a gee song. Mm -hmm. I don't know somehow this feels like it might uh, connect to that somehow. You know, that's the idea of um, spectatorship as well, isn't it? sort of police state song uh about yeah, being monitored at all times possibly yeah i think maybe i i was always thought of that as almost like almost kind of predicting twitter and instagram of people sort of self-monitoring <laughs> we yeah. live in the kind of public witness program everyone uh, photographing themselves doing literally everything that's very interesting i think i'll steal that for the for the episode i'm gonna put that in my notes <laughs> a couple of things i mean to to support my uh, interpretation that this is this is a bit of a waiting room companion piece it's about um trying to trying to do something uh instead of being simply an observer the the line it appears that you're all architects and engineers maybe that's about how it can seem that observing it can seem that everybody else is so good at something that you're reluctant to try it yourself you're like uh well these these bands are so good i would feel like an idiot starting out not being mm. very good uh and and if you're paralyzed by that you can never let yourself actually accomplish anything i think that's true i find it interesting he uses the words architects chooses architects and engineers mm -hmm. which are um i suppose there's artistry in them but they're more almost more practical occupations aren't they if we're being literal saying you're an architect you're an engineer they're, they're kind of skilled skilled people who build things but build things you know, they build buildings, don't they? They do engineering work. Um, again, I feel like maybe there's that sort of that doubt creeping in that, like, you know, an ar is an architect an engineer? Are they more useful to society than <laughs> I don't know, sure, someone who's artistic? Some people would argue, yes, they are, but um, I, you know, I wouldn't argue that. But I can see, I've had that, I have that feeling myself sometimes. You think, God, maybe you should get a real job, yeah, and <laughs> do, do something proper. Do well, you know what I mean? Well, possibly the choice of words is just due to, you know, from from the point of view of somebody who's more artistic occupations architects and engineers that their skill set seems more arcane like you know i'm not a playwright but i can i can sort of envision how it's done i can imagine myself yeah. doing it or being a painter or a sculptor but when it comes to architecture and engineering uh there's just so much that i'm aware that i have no idea of uh that uh the use of those words in the song could just bespeak that idea that, wow, everybody else is doing stuff that I have no idea how to do. 
uh, and the anxiety about that. Yeah, which I, I would personally, I would understand that because I, it's always strange that obviously people, if you're kind of good at or half decent at something yourself, it never seems very special. But when someone can do something that you can't and you don't understand how they do it, it seems almost kind of magical. And then it seems, do you know what I mean? It seems they've got the, this kind of rare gift. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think something that ties into that also is, well, when, when he says, never let my vision get in the way of me, that's very intriguing because you don't often see the word vision used as a negative in that way. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's usually to have vision is a positive quality. And of course, lots of, poly, uh, of positive qualities can be taken to a point that can be negative, like, you know, ambition, caution, whatever. But I don't know if I've ever heard vision used in that way. So maybe this is a way of saying not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Like, don't be paralyzed just because because you can't execute something to perfection the way you visualize it, you know, to just do it. So it's it's like another roadblock in the way of creation. Not only are other people doing great things, but you have in your mind this vision of, of the perfect art or whatever that is uh, making you nervous to attempt it or, or, or just even if you do attempt it and it doesn't measure up to what's in your head, you mm-hmm. attempted to scrap the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was mulling over that line a lot myself and I, uh, it's, it's very very hard to pin down a literal meaning I'm not even sure there is one but I would kind of agree with that and then t- people if you have a kind of perfect idea of what you're trying to achieve that can almost stop you doing it because well hey, it's hard isn't it it's hard to do that but also I think the creative process and all that you have to be able to adapt as you go along and things change throughout the process I think and if you got stuck too rigidly to the plan you know I'm not sure you would you'd get there, but where you want to get to would have changed after you've started. And then as as far as lines that we're having trouble with literally, I think the you know, the mysterious lines for me are he says, Have I seen too much? Does it count if it doesn't touch? If the view is all I can ascertain, pure understanding is out of range. If I make that call, why can't I make that change? So and that's that's the part where I have a little trouble with the song. I, I think I can mm. wrap my mind around a sort of you know, again, if 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 all he is experiencing is a view of something without getting hands on and doing it, um, then he can't truly understand it. Well, I think that makes sense, doesn't it? I suppose the way I interpret that line is this: this idea that, let's say, I don't know, you were interested in, I don't know, protesting for something, but if all you ever do is view it on the news or, or whatever, you've still got no idea what it's actually like than to be there, you know, on a street with thousands of people or something like that. There's a kind of physical sensory experience of certain things that you can only get by being the participant rather yeah. than a spectator. That's a good point. Hmm. I mean, That's... you could apply it to, you know, you could apply it to sports, you could apply it to so many things that um, you kind of have to do things huh. to really understand what they're like. I don't, that's something I, I believe yeah, I th- I think there's definitely something to that. Um, it's like, um, this this <laughs> this may be a very stupid parallel, but on Netflix there's a new show, uh, at least at the time uh, we we're speaking, called "The Floor Is Lava." Have you heard of this? I haven't. No. <laughs> it's check um, it out. it's like I'm sure the concept is familiar to you, where like when you were kids, like the game you'd play as kids. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. And th- they've made it into this big sort of game show with a with a huge set where the there's like simulated, you know, orangey red water uh, that's that that people can't fall into as they try to navigate these courses, 
Um, but uh, as as you were saying, it's the kind of thing where you're watching it and saying like, oh, that looks easy to jump from there to there. Uh, mm-hmm. But because uh, <laughs> maybe because we're we're just trained on watching uh, you know star athletes and not to mention movies where people do insane stunts. Uh, but uh, of course, <laughs> it's like very hard to to jump as far as these people are trying to jump. Uh, so. Yeah, there, there's something to that. What you say is like, if if you've never actually tried to do something, you may seriously over or underestimate the the difficulty or just the general experience of doing it. True. I think so. <laughs> the, the line that I really don't really un, don't understand, although I like it. I like the word the words. <laughs> I like the first line of the song, which is looking out for cars and mortality, mm-hmm. trying to find some sort of geometry. That one that has baffled me. It, I don't know about literally, but in general, it's it's one of those things that you might say. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a line that you might write as you're growing older uh, and becoming more circumspect, because that definitely comes with age. Like I think a lot mm-hmm. of when you when you're young, you don't respect how dangerous cars, for example, actually are. Uh, I, I've just in my own life, I've certainly, I think, I've every time I drive, I just become more and more aware of what a dangerous, <laughs> what a dangerous practice it really is. Um, so yeah, maybe it's just one of those sorts of things that, uh, comes, comes with age, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But trying you know, the idea of trying to find geometry, um, it's left me stumped, but I like the idea of it. I like the, I like how it sounds. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. I'm uh, not a mathematician, but isn't geometry like everywhere? Isn't it technically everywhere? I guess it would have it to not? be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a situation where no geometry applies. I don't think I can. Yeah, exactly. Um, should we should we talk about the sonic qualities of this song for a while? Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Go for it. I mean, just taking it from the jump, I got to say, I really love the two-drum intro, the sort of imperfect feel of it of how the two drum sets mesh together really rewards headphone listening uh this particular song yeah that's something i noticed actually the kind of the drum intro am i correct that it was jerry busher is that right yes kind of doing the second set percussion so when i saw them live that one time they'd had they had both um drummers on stage as well right my only only live experience was you know with with that kind of double percussion which is yeah very, very i believe cool. uh the as the story goes some of the songs on end hits sort of required that extra percussion just the way they were recorded in the studio and mm. i think after uh, I, I don't think jerry played on that album but afterwards he started playing with them uh those songs live and then he actually did perform on the argument um but yeah i i could i could listen to a whole song of brendan and jerry just jamming like this i really like it <laughs> Um, yeah, I liked it very much. I mean, what, what, listening to the song again, like sonically, I, I suppose what stood out to me is that um, I suppose the argument is: I, I, Do you think it's fair to say that it's a slightly mellower album? But I'd say Expectator is probably one of the more, for me, it actually came across as one of the sort of, in a good way, blunter and more aggressive songs on that record, and one that I was very pleased to come back to because I kind of half half forgotten it. This one, um, and then a lot of the other songs are perhaps more a bit more reflective and contemplative as this one is i think Mackay being kind of gruff in 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 a way that's similar from some earlier albums 
that's what I felt. Yeah, I I agree on all counts. Um, I think it's certainly fair. Like just the way the album begins with the sort of uh, cello playing is you know it strikes a very different tone and sets sets those kind of expectations. But yeah, this one is certainly has some more aggressive sounds to it. I mean, uh, speaking mm-hmm. of good headphone listening, that's I that's also really good for the guitars on this. Like in the intro, I, I think Guy's guitar even sounds like maybe he's using a fuzz pedal. It's just very, very sort of uh, fuzzy, gritty, Velcro-y sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's nice. Yeah, g- gritty, I would definitely say. Gritty. And I suppose it almost sounds a bit like more like what you might say classic Fugazi sounds like, or it sounds like a very, very much like a Fugazi song. Now, I know it is a Fugazi song, but... Um, I think maybe at the time it's probably why it didn't stand out to me quite as much because it just sounds like a very good Fugazi song. Whereas some of the other songs on the argument are definitely uh, a, a change in some ways to what they've done previously. Yeah, I agree in some ways. In some other ways, um, you, you know, the way I don't think it sounds like a Fugazi song is uh, Joe's bass line, which is I, I usually associate Joe with this very sort of locked in with the drums mm. Uh, very tight circular bass lines here however uh, he's he just plays with very interesting timing it's almost so, sort of lagging a little bit behind the beat this very sort of swung feel um he's I- I- at least in the in the verses so it's yeah it's almost a little bit jazzy yeah i think so but like i said re-listening to it i actually you know i've come to re-appreciate it which is which is good i have to give a shout out to I guess it's Guy's guitar throughout this song. His well, his lead guitar. Um, it, you know, throughout the verses, he's playing this this sort of lead line that's it's almost theremin like. It's it's this constant mm. melody. There are no rests, right? It's constant and fluid. It's up high. Uh, it's it's a bit similar to what he does at the end of the argument. He has this uh, similar little lead guitar part that he does but here it's like it's almost like a second singer going throughout the verses yeah singing, yeah singing and then he does he does a lead thing in the chorus too um only a few notes it's like um it reminds me a bit of a horn line like you could you could imagine a band with like a with a kick-ass horn section doing this song and the horns play that <laughs> which would be amazing that hadn't occurred to me at all, but I'm gonna go and re-listen to it after this, and now with horns in mind. Yeah, yeah, please do. I, somebody commented on this. Uh, it's some other song um, that I released an episode for. Maybe it was, maybe it was actually arguments um, uh, where, where, he, or actually, you know what it was? Uh, Bed for the scraping. Uh, somebody commented that it sounded like the lead guitar sounds like these crazy jazz horns um and i mm. i have to agree i i really hear that but yeah so so that's that's what made me think of that for this song yeah i mean i, I thought the whole record's like musically fascinating i think i wanted to say in general with the chorus also it uh, there's there's something epic feeling about it to me the the chord progression um which reminds me of so I'll just drop a little reference. I I don't know if many people will have heard of this band or the song. There's a band called Hot Snakes, song called Paid in Cigarettes. Um, I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes. Um, And I just thought I'd mention it because 
it for some reason the song really reminds me of it and i think fugazi fans would would very much like it so uh so yeah check that out if you're so inclined uh down in the uh details show notes section i remember that band hot yeah? snakes yeah yeah I, I can't remember that that particular song but i remember listening to them i want to say there was some link with rocket from the crypt or someone like that is that correct I think you're right. I think yeah. I think they would like shared some members or something like that. I'm yes. sort of trying to remember stuff from when they around about 17 years ago. <laughs> I you know I think it's maybe about the same time uh, this came out, early 2000s. Yeah, I think uh, so. Not sure. I was never like a huge fan of that band, but that song stood out to me, and this listening to this just sort of brought it popping back into my mind. What was this? I'm gonna listen. To, I'm gonna listen to that song. Uh, it's called. Paid in Cigarettes. Paid in Cigarettes. Great title as well. <laughs> yeah. Another good section of the song to mention is that there's this little twiddly breakdown bit. The first time, they seem to just more or less do the same thing a few times. The second time, they throw in some interesting different things, right? It's it's the two guitars, and then like the bass joins in but at odd and unpredictable times right it's not like every other time or every other like mm. third time it's you you sort of can't expect it you could listen to the song you know several times through and and forget where the bass comes in um so it's pretty cool that that happens and there's also i think the last couple of times through like they change their guitar tones as it goes they yeah one of the guitars gets super thin sounding um so they're really playing around a lot with different sonic things like that. This is one of those songs that makes me think, you know, people talk about Fugazi, the prospect of a Fugazi reunion all the time. I, like, I don't, I don't know how that would work with them trying to, like, pick up from where they left off. But it does make me think that my ideal kind of Fugazi re- reunion would be if they got together and just composed sort of an album-length instrumental piece like instead of separate songs (laughs) like they they have the chops to just and they have so many interesting ideas all the time i I bet they could just compose this this like shifting moving instrumental piece that would really blow some minds uh if they felt so inclined so that's that's my i mean they they have some um some very powerful instrumental tracks don't they so i could see that happening i can't see the fans being massively happy with that happening i don't know (laughs) yeah well yeah they they like to throw curveballs, so it's the kind of thing that wouldn't surprise me, at least. I've been listening to the, how do you pronounce it, the Koriki album, and some of these tracks do feel like they've just kind of, you know, a bit of a progression from the argument. Yes. I did find interesting. I felt the same way about the Evens. I don't know if you had listened to, to much of their music. I listened I listen to some of it. I, I, it's something I've been trying to get back into. I never really got into it. Kuriki, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, big, big fan of, love that album, but um, which has made me go back to the Evens, who I never particularly listened to much at the time. But perhaps I should. The only other musical thing that I wanted to comment on was there's this little bell sound that pops up briefly uh, in the song. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It's, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, just sort of chiming, but not sharp. It's sort of mellow. Ding, ding, ding. Um, and I was trying to ascertain what that was. Uh, the liner notes for the album don't shed any light on this, uh, so I really have no idea. Um, somebody from social media, Pete Fraser, uh, said... Uh, Quote, I always thought it was a stage piano like a Fender Rhodes or a Wurlitzer with a tremolo set very slow. 
although actually listening to it again, that could very easily be a vibraphone too. So uh, I personally, uh, I, I am not great at distinguishing between different types of keys or whatever. So uh, no, an interesting question that's just out there uh, in the ether, and perhaps I will get an answer on that someday. Somebody on the internet must know this or will be able to work it out. Yes, I, I hope so. Speaking of social media, uh, a few comments just to uh, give our listeners a voice. We have Colin Mack, who says, I always interpreted this as Ian's role in the scene, going from a spectator to such a central, pivotal person. That's how it looks from here, is him describing probably his friends' and family's lives continuing on while he maintains being a touring musician. I always felt it was a fitting song on what is now their final record. Dustin Henry Courier says, Lyrically, on first glance, it seems that the focus is on the question of what is to be gained in the transition from spectator-slash-observer to participant-slash-architect. But upon further reading, I get the vibe that it's more about what is lost when you stop being a spectator or a learner and get lost in the work. It seems that the narrator has lost touch and maybe become a bit jaded, uh, i.e. have I seen too much and never let my vision get in the way of me. Based on the imagery in the opening lines of cars, mortality, architects, engineers, etc., it feels like the narrator is involved in city planning and has become out of touch with actual city living. Um, that's a kind of a cool take on it. He's like uh, interpreting it as a bit of a character song instead of Ian actually writing about himself. Um, so, yeah, thanks mm. thanks for your comments, guys. Well, it sounds like people had sort of similar interpretations to us. But I really like that, the city planner and not city liver. That's really nice. <laughs> right. I really like that. But um, uh, I forget who'd made the comment there, but that sense of, slight sense of being jaded, definitely something I got from that song, or, you know, at least self-doubting. Right. It feels like a few people are, have that a kind of similar interpretation to it. I think that is the vibe it gives off. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of song that you could read as... Uh, just genuine and straightforward. It's also the kind of song that I think you could read as a bit of a cynical song where he's writing from the point of view of somebody whom he does not agree with. Um, you know, never let my vision get in the way of of me uh, as as a sort of negative thing that some people do. Um, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think you could make an argument for either way. Yeah, I think so. But like, like I said, that's why I'm one of the many reasons I like Fugazi and I like their lyrics is because they do have this kind of cryptic kind of cryptic quality and you can, and you can interpret it in many, many different ways. And that's, that was always something that was very, very, uh, very compelling to me. And that makes it, you know, it's, it's quite different from straight, not straightforward, but straightforward lyrically kind of political punk rock and hardcore. It's, it's very different for that while still coming from that world. And, and Fugazi were always re- regarded as being a political band but I don't think their lyrics are particularly directly political. Yeah, th- certainly more songs than not. Uh, they're they're not directly talking about politics. Um, mm. I guess just some of them <laughs> sort of seized the popular imagination and uh, uh, gave gave them the reputation they have. But speaking of uh, how compelling you find this and how much you like it, let's talk about ratings. <laughs> In which I ask you, out of five stars, just in the context of the Fugazi catalog, what do you mm. think of X Spectator? How does it rate? It's so hard, this, isn't it? But I'm, I thought about this beforehand. I thought I've got to give a rating. So I think this is a very. Am I allowed like point fives? Whatever you want. No rules. 
<laughs> no rules. I think this is a very solid 3.5 out of 5. That's what I'm going to give it. Very nice. I think, you know, you know, one of the first things you said is it's a song that was not particularly memorable to you. So you, it's something you could not immediately recall, but you'd had to go mm-hmm. back and listen to it again to remind yourself. And I must say, I was in the same boat. Uh, it's it's not one of the famous ones, and yet uh, I really, really like it myself. Um, so mm. I'm I'm gonna come in pretty close to you. You know what? I'm I'm just going to go ahead and join you at uh, three point five. So um, close. yeah, we're we're well agreed on that one. Um, a, a very nice, very nice jam, X Spectator. And uh, <laughs> plenty within to uh, discuss and debate. So, uh, Gary, let's talk about plugs. Where can listeners reach you? Do you have anything coming up that you want to promote at all? Um, yeah, have at it. Uh, yes. So, well, I, I run a publisher called Influx Press, influxpress.com, and just at Influx Press on Twitter. So um, we're an independent publisher of uh, fiction, novels and short stories, and we've got tons and tons of books coming up uh, later this year and next year. So I'd say really follow us, what we're doing there. We publish stuff um, kind of from all around the world now. Uh, and personally, I have a new book of fiction coming out in October through a publisher called Dead Ink Books. The book's called London Incognita. And there is actually a small uh, reference to Fugazi in the book because uh, this is something I wanted to talk about very briefly is that um, I'm sure many people know, but uh, Margin Walker was recorded at Southern Studios in Wood Green. So there is a kind of section in the book that references that in in that area of Wood Green, which is part of London, I know very very well, and um, I just like the fact that that contains some of my favourite Fugazi songs. I like the fact that some of that was well, that entire EP was recorded there. So there was a whole section in the book about a kind of punk post hardcore fan of about my age, but a woman and Fugazi get a nice mention in there. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> All right, be on the lookout for that, listeners. Um... Send in screenshots of the page when you buy this book. And as for me, you can reach me at FugaziA2Z at gmail.com, and you can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, talk about this song, talk about upcoming episodes that I'm about to record, and, and get your comments in under the wire. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we'll be discussing FD. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last